0: But I think in the next three years, the technology will be there where localized manufacturing can happen at scale. Not this year, but like 2025, I think we can have automated domestic manufacturing. And I think more people are going to do that. That's the one big thing that's going to come out of COVID. People think it's really cheap to make stuff in China. It's not. But the whole advantage is they just have machines set up and they have people to do it. But as they get more automated, it just makes more sense to do more automated stuff here.
1: You ask Sean Frank, the future looks bleak. But if you go beyond that surface level feeling of doom, you'll actually find a guy who's thinking ahead and coming up with creative, innovative, and effective ways to build a durable business that can stand the test of time. Sean is the CEO of Ridge.com, a $100 million brand, which you might know for its popular Ridge wallet. But it's much more than that. And Sean has plans to keep the company growing. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Sean and I talked about how to stand out in a competitive world of e commerce and what it means to have a good influencer and sponsor relationship. Plus, we go deep on what we think is coming down the pike in terms of inflation, supply chain, and more. So grab your favorite beverage, cozy up, and enjoy today's episode. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really wanna know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune in to Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org. And today on the show, we have Sean Frank, who's the CEO at Ridge.com. Sean, welcome.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
1: After doing quite a bit of research on you, which would be creepy if we were friends, but because we're not yet, I feel good about this. I was excited to hear all the different opinions you have on this industry and where we're headed in this conversation. So thank you for coming here. But first, let's talk about what is Ridge.com what do you guys do? What do you sell?
0: Yeah. So, so we sell uh, a lot of wallets. So so we made a wallet called the Ridge wallet. It's probably like our flagship product. Last year we sold over a million of them. This year we'll probably sell 2 million of them. So we're selling a lot of them, but we also make bags, phone cases, uh, like a key organizer thing we're, we're pretty proud of. And just like premium men's accessories made out of cool materials. That's kind of what we do. Yeah.
1: And what's different about your wallets? Why are they so popular?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a functional redesign of what of like a traditional wallet. So like if if you're listening to this, you probably have a either a card holder that like somebody got you that's just like leather with a couple slots in it, or you have a billfold wallet, which is just like you know really big and bulky. And we make ones that are uh, made out of like titanium or carbon fiber or like Damascus steel, just really crazy materials. And they're very very small. They're like the exact size of a credit card, but they fit like twelve cards if you need them. So we think it's an improvement of an
1: old design. Yeah. I'd say so. I mean, especially the little flip wallets where every time I see a man with those in his pocket, I'm like, Oh, I feel bad for you <laughs> every time you sit. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So Ridge wallet was started on Kickstarter right back in 2014. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I'm not, not the founder. We can get in the story of how I, how I joined the business, but, uh, Daniel Kane and his dad, Paul, they, uh, we're familiar with Kickstarter. They've done you know, a couple of projects before that. they backed a lot of stuff. And Daniel backed what he thought was the Ridge Wallet. Like uh, somebody was making a wallet. He's like, oh, that's exactly what I want. It showed up in the mail and it wasn't what he thought. So he's like, okay, I'm going to make my thing then. So him and his dad worked on it. That was like 2013 to 2014. Those are like the Kickstarter years. And it worked. <laughs> they shipped them. People liked them. And then we were able to build like a real business out of it. So pretty lucky.
1: Yeah, and even to today, there's no outside investors, right?
0: Yeah, bootstrap. There's six of us on the cap tables. So never, never raised any money, and that's been hard.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. So, what year did you join, and what brought you to the company?
0: Daniel and Paul never really wanted to hire anybody. They never really wanted to like run teams. It's like not what they're passionate about. They're very much product people. Paul was like a you know a special needs educator for like 30 years now he's fully retired so he's out of the business but like he definitely didn't have a background in e right and 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 Daniel did a lot of the stuff himself but like never really wanted to bring on teams and deal with like HR and all that type of stuff so they outsourced as much as they could. I was the person that outsourced a lot of stuff too. I owned an agency with my current CMO Connor and we started just doing all their all their marketing. So paid media email asset creation that type of stuff website and then we expanded that out to, you know, we were doing their customer service, we were doing their imports, we were doing everything. And it just made sense to merge. So they bought my company. Uh, I came in and I've uh, been running as a CEO and everyone's still involved. Daniel, founder of the business, just does product full-time. That's what she likes to do. So when we merged, they went from three people working there, father, son, best friend, to 23 people working there. And it was the 20 people that came over from my agency. So very, very seamless. Everything's going pretty okay.
1: Yeah. I'd say so from looking at you know, some of your numbers. Um, I want to talk a bit about your growth. So I've heard you mention a few times about tapping into influencers. And I feel like if you would have heard that maybe you know a few years ago, people would be like, oh, that's kind of trendy. I'm going to try it out. Now everyone's saying it, but I don't think a lot of brands are really actually tapping into the potential of it. And getting good return on that, so I want to hear a bit about your process and how you grew with them and found good influencers, like all the secrets behind how you grew Ridge wallet.
0: yeah, so I really like influencer it's something something I've been really into for a while. Really, what it came off of was like I grew up watching YouTube. that's like the way I spent my time. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean like I can't name any famous people, but I you know when i I probably watch eight hours of YouTube a day, right and um I was never really into Instagram. So, like, I think the first influencer bubble was people going after, like, Instagram. And, like, they're, like, oh, pay to post. And then stories came around. So, like, you know, people would make some more stuff with stories. But we've always just been super YouTube dominant. I mean, our, our fresh was just, like, you know, in, in 2021, we've, we I think we sponsored like 4,000 unique creators. So it's like a, wow. like a huge amount of people, right? Um, and we've got hundreds of millions of views off of our influencer content. So it's all, you know, organic, them posting integrations. We're, we're, we're super into it. We're going to keep scaling that up. I think it's hard for a lot of brands to do because you have to be pretty hands-off, right? Like, you can't really have too much creative control over it, right? Like they they create content for their audience so they know it's going to work, right? So you have to just let them do what they're going to do. And a lot of brands can't do that. And the other thing is, um, it's really hard to scale, right? It's not just spending money on Facebook. Like I could spend a million dollars a day on Facebook because I could just click the buttons to make that happen, right? But to spend a million dollars in a month on Influencer, you're reaching out to thousands of people. You're negotiating thousands of deals. You're sending thousands of pieces of product out there. You're project managing all that. So it's way more like a sales job. And that's where we have a really big team. There's probably there's probably like eight people inside of Ridge that just do influencer.
1: Wow. Okay. And what percent of your marketing budget goes towards influencer marketing?
0: It's probably only 15%. Oh, okay. It's a small percent, but it's really hard to scale past that. That's the whole thing, right? Where, you know, Facebook is still getting 35% of my budget, right? And Google's probably getting 35% of my budget. And, you know, influencers make up a smaller chunk of that, but it takes way more people, way more man hours to get that done. But we think it's a cooler product at the end of the day. You know, if you go on YouTube and type in Ridge Wallet, or you go on TikTok and type in Ridge Partners, you'll see thousands of videos posted in the past 12 months of people just integrating us in cool ways. Mm
1: -hmm. So when it comes to finding good influencers, I mean, it does sound very manual. How do you know if someone's going to be good? How do you discover talent? I mean, I think a few people that you've gotten to work with kind of blew up. I think there was like a comedian that got really big and a couple other people, but how do you discover the talent early on? Like, how do you go about that? Because to me, it feels like there's so many people right now and everyone's an influencer and everyone wants to be one. And I'm like, how do you even start actually finding the right people?
0: Yeah. So we say we want to be everybody's first sponsor. So that's like kind of like the the mantra of the influencer program over at Bridge, right? So we've worked with some really large people in 2021, like PewDiePie. He's like the number one, YouTuber, right? Um, so we did some deals with him. Marquez Brownlee, he's got 20 million subs. We do deal with him. Linus Tech Tips, we do deal, you know, we do four videos a month, right? Like, so we have these really long standing, really big partnerships, but that's not the core of the program. The core of the program is people you've never heard of making content you'll never watch, right? Uh, it's just like a really, really wide breadth. So we're really trying to give people a but when I mean people, I mean content creators. Like a really good first sponsorship experience, right? Like they'll get paid. We send them product. We make it really hands off. There's no approvals. Makes it really really easy. And that's kind of been the way we've been able to scale that up. How we're finding them it's super manual. <laughs> I mean, we have we have VA scraping content. We have uh, with a platform called Creator IQ that like we pull in whatever list they have. I mean, it's mass outreach. We're sending thousands of emails every single week. Like. We're on TikTok, like commenting, like, hey, do you want to work with us? It's as manual as it gets. But then, like, once once people are interested, it's a very seamless funnel. We're like, hey, look, you know, we probably pay less than everyone else who does influencer, right? I think a lot of times people will want to work with somebody, they get a 20000 dollars quote and they're like, they'll either do it and they'll get burned because like they'll never see the sales results, or they won't do it because it's so expensive. And it's like, yeah, well, we're not going to do that deal anyway. <laughs> like, I think, I think that the thing to highlight is like, Beauty influencers on YouTube, their cost per post is so high because to get into the like the mechanics, of the way YouTube works, there's a lot of dead channels, right? So like, there's a lot of people who have massive subscriber bases, but like don't get very many views per video, and it's because it's very hard to have a career on YouTube for ten plus years. Very few people have done it. You can count the people who've been able to do it, and most channels uh, just reach a natural endpoint. Their audience ages out, or like they can't keep up with trends or whatever else, and like there's nothing wrong with that. But then you'll have people who want to sell used, you know, influencer deals based on subscriber counts, which like doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's not a real thing. Right. At the end of the day, you're trying to get like a, like a CPM based on views like you'd bet pay for on Facebook. That's one of the problems with YouTube beauty influencer content, right? Like it'll just be too expensive for the CPM. And also it's kind of like tech content. Like there's a lot of people who make tech content, um, Around new and emerging tech, but like this, you only want to watch one of those videos, right? Like, if a new iPhone's coming out, like, you're not going to watch three videos all talking about the details of the new iPhone, right? And beauty is kind of the same way, where there's one creator you like, that's the creator you're going to watch, right? Like, they speak to you. Uh, so, there's not a lot of the crossover. So, what you see is low views, high CPMs. And I think that's what people go to and think about that. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like, one of our best performing channels is a guy who owns a farm and, like, he's a veterinarian for horses, right? And, like, he just posts content and, like, he just happens to have a rich wallet in every one of his videos, right? And it's like, no one's going to think about sponsoring that guy on YouTube, but YouTube is an everything platform. There's content for everybody. So we're just trying to sponsor as many people and be their first sponsor. So that's really long winded, but I can talk about influencers for a couple hours if you want to.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I actually love digging in on this topic because I do think that is the way of the future, but figuring out how to do it right, like you said, most people are probably going to the accounts, trying to find the biggest subscribers and not actually looking at the details of like, what's the engagement in the comments? How many views that they actually get? Is it consistent or not? Versus like your veterinarian dude getting consistent views, probably everyone wants to watch all of his content instead of like one great video that comes out once a quarter or something. It might do really well.
0: Yeah. And also it's humans are designed to be lazy. Right. So like if, if you want to do influencer, you're like, okay, well, I'll just choose the three influencers. You know what I mean? Like you're going to pick the three biggest names, right. Or like the three people you might know, right. As a 20 or 30 or 40 year old running a brand, you'll be like, oh yeah, I want to go after Joe Rogan, David Dobrik and somebody else. Right. And it's like, okay, well, like you said, everybody's an influencer. I mean, my wife posts on TikTok once a day and she's got 10,000 followers, you know what I mean? So wow. it's like, there's this whole <laughs> yeah. world of people that you're going to miss if you just go after like these very, very top and those deals, well, they can be good, right? I sponsor PewDiePie, I sponsor the biggest people, right? Well, those deals can be good, uh, not really a good foray to the system. I think you should identify like, they used to call them micro influencers, but then like, that's so targeted towards Instagram. And I think Instagram's not really a good platform. Just find like 10 channels and just just try it out.
1: Well, what kind of CPM ranges would you give for people like that who are newer, but you see potential in? I mean, is it like $3 CPMs or higher than that? What are you guys seeing right now?
0: Yeah. So there's been a rush of people getting into the the influencer game and legacy players are driving up costs, right? We're still targeting like sub $10 CPMs for YouTube integrations, right? I used to be like the days where I could get $3 CPMs and now then it went to 5 and it went to $7. we are still targeting sub 10. Uh, TikTok, we're paying like a dollar, right? It's like, it's, it's, uh, it's a platform where there is no paid alternative, but there's a lot of good views. So it's just really platform specific. And it also just depends on where the influencer is in their journey of working with people. Like some $10 is what I'm trying to pay.
1: Okay. So that makes me think then like an influencer marketplace is not the way to go. I mean, there's a lot of companies popping up right now trying to consolidate influencers, get them on the platform, help you find influencers. But from what I'm hearing from you, that might actually not be the way because everyone's tapping into those people and you want to find the other ones who are maybe not everywhere already and not already working with big marketplaces or whatnot.
0: Yeah. And also it's like, it's almost like those are designed to fail (laughs) because of like, oh, it sounds great. Like, oh, we're going to make influencer like Facebook ads, right? Like it's going to be just like that, how you could just scale and activate all these people and get get posts and CPMs. Yeah. But the problem is you're dealing with individual people, right? Like it's, you're dealing with dozens or hundreds of individual addresses to ship to individual negotiations. Like people are going to perform differently. They're going to make content differently. They're going to drop off at different rates. And also we're dealing with assets people don't really own. And to expand on that, what I mean is you don't own the reach of your social channel, right? So like you have an Instagram presence, you have a TikTok presence, you have a YouTube presence, but like, and you have subscribers or followers or or whatever on those platforms, but you don't actually own the distribution on those platforms. It's not like, you know, your email list or whatever. A rich can send an email and it's guaranteed going to those people and like, People will open that where you can do posts and you know they just don't perform for whatever reason because the algorithm like it, right? So there's all of those different nuances. And then when you try to do it at scale, it just falls apart. I would kind of relate it to how Zillow lost a bunch of money flipping houses, right? Because individually you can make money flipping houses, right? Like people do it all day long, but when you try to do that at scale. It's like the the little details end up killing you. And that's how I describe all influencer platforms in most agencies.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you see a risk then with the people having a presence on other platforms and feeling like they own that audience when maybe like any little tweak could change everything for you and for them? I mean, it brings me back to, like we were discussing earlier my medium days and I know we worked together back then when we had a medium publication it felt like we did not own our audience. And so any little tweak could completely change that. Do you see a risk when it comes to influencers kind of relying on that, um, just different platforms that they don't really own either?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. If, if this podcast ends up being for content creators, it's like diversify to something you own as soon as possible, right? Like it, it can be a discord, it could be email list, it could be a Patreon. Like I don't theoretically don't own all those things, but just like diversify places where they can actually reach you because your YouTube account can get banned your instagram account can get shut down like all of those things can happen they've happened to really big creators and also <laughs> these platforms are petty like i don't know if you i don't know how much you you, you dive into the space but like yeah. uh twitch and youtube will ban like if you go from twitch to youtube and start live streaming there they'll shut your account down they're like yep yeah, you don't get that anymore right yep. it's horrible man <laughs> so yeah. i think being content creator is uh probably a great job. It's just, but I think you have to be super smart about it and really try to try to own something, right?
1: Yeah, um, ever since the uh, the meta handle got taken. Yeah. Like to me, that's like the perfect example of like web 3.0 of like, you do not own these properties. It can literally get taken and nothing will happen unless you get media exposure on it. Like the only reason she got her meta handle back on Instagram that was taken from them was because of a media exposure, I guess. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the only reason she got it back and returned to her. I'm like, that to me is what the future looks like as a content creator. If you're relying on other people's platforms, you say one thing they don't like, you have a name that they want. It could just get scooped up and taken instantly. Like you don't actually own any of that IP.
0: Yeah. You're building empires on quicksand. I mean, that's, I mean, if you want to tie back into e-commerce, that's what I say about almost every e-com brand. I'm like, you think you have community, you think you have reach, like you, you think you have all these things. You are just an effective engine of giving money to Facebook. That's what you are, right? And like, as soon as you stop being an effective engine, everything else falls apart. You're building, you're, you're building empires on quicksand. So I think content creators like everything. Dude, I think, I think big tech is insane. <laughs> I, think, I don't think we realize how big it is. I mean, I think it's bigger than government.
1: Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Up Next in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephaniemission.org at and let's have a conversation. So, I mean, how are you all planning for the future then when it comes to owning those first party conversations or trying to build a different business, especially in like a world right now that is very competitive. There's so many people popping up. Anyone can sell anything, which can be good and can be bad. Like, how are you positioning yourself to win in the future? Yeah.
0: So my, my clear path for Rage is I'm trying to build the next Yeti. So we're a nine figure brand, right? So we, we crossed hundred million in, in yearly revenue.
1: Congrats. Nice. I saw the 50 million. I didn't know you crossed hundred.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't want to say how big, but like we're a bootstrap nine figure brand. Very, very hard to get there. Yep. And almost all of that is digital. Like when I say when I say almost all of it, it's like ninety seven percent of it's happening on the internet, right? Um, and we, you know, we could talk about how much we hate big social or big tech or whatever, but but it's like what I cut my teeth on the past like ten years. Uh, it's still gonna be a huge part of our strategy you're going to see them continue to go to war. And, uh, I think it's going to, like, I think it's another podcast. It's like, well, there's a massive storm coming and it's going to flip a lot of boats. So the whole reason we're trying to scale, uh, I, I just posted this on Twitter. It's like, bro, I don't make a ton of money. It's like, the thing is like, people hear like, Oh yeah, we're doing a hundred million dollars a year. It's like, people think I make a hundred million dollars a year. I'm like, no man. Fuck it. <laughs> it's like, I, I pay so much money in taxes. It's like, it's an insane thing. Right. So, it's not for really the personal gain of it. Really, what it is is like, I think the only way to survive is to have the biggest boat possible. That's kind of like what, what we're going towards. Uh, I think Apple's going to launch search. I think Apple's going to start selling people's data back to Facebook, right? And then to Facebook to offset the costs will uh, just like hike up CPMs. I think the supply chain will eventually get better, but in the short term, it's going to get way worse. This year, I, I, I've said 2022 is going to be the hardest year for e com. I think a lot of brands are going to go out of business because they're not going to be able to get stuff. They're not going to be able to compete in a more expensive environment. People are looking for silver bullets. They're like, oh yeah, TikTok. That's, it's going to be like the old days where I can acquire customers for $20 and I can do drop shipping again. It's like, nope, that's totally gone. But the only thing I can do is build a very durable business, right? Um, so when I'm thinking about the future, I talk to people and they're thinking about retail expansion. I, I have a couple of friends. One has 30 stores right now. One's opening 50 stores in the next two years. Bridge isn't gonna do that. Uh, We're not gonna open stores, but we'll be a part of their store opening experience. I think that's a good way to do it, right? I think continuing to embrace uh, marketplaces, like uh, I think Amazon's the the biggest opportunity in e-com right now. (laughs) Like I think it has been for the past three years. I think it's gonna be for the next three years. Because of the supply chain issues, people can't get stuff in. So if you can get stuff in, you have an unfair advantage, right? So I think it's gonna disproportionately punish foreign sellers. and yeah, I mean, we're working on doing stuff to actually build community and reasons to come back and reasons to shop again. Like people always talk about subscription, right? They're always like, you need to have subscription in your product, right? And I think the original subscription was just making good stuff every year. Like if you look at, I'll use Buck Mason because I buy a bunch of stuff from Buck Mason, but you know, you can also use J. Crew or Brooks Brothers or whatever else, right? Like legacy men's retailers with seasonal drops. Their LTV is huge. It's like $800 for a customer because they just keep making stuff. and People keep coming back and buying it. So anyway, that's what I a lot, but that's what, that's the way I'm thinking about. I'm going to keep making stuff and keep trying to sell it to people.
1: I like that. That's, I mean, that's what everyone should do, right? <laughs> High level. There you go. That's all you need to know, everyone. Keep making good stuff and sell it. I want to go back to the Apple search piece. I mean, when thinking about that, how are you guys even preparing for that? Because to me, it just means whatever you're going to be seeing as a customer is just whatever they decide is best and whoever's paying the most ads. And I mean, it's already kind of like that, but like, where will it move to then? Because in my viewpoint, I'm like, I don't see that lasting for long, especially as the world is becoming more decentralized. I feel like something is going to pop up that's going to make for more of an equal playing field to get back to the original days of like the best product actually shows the product that, you know, has the lowest return rates going to show or the best reviews. Whereas right now it just feels very jumbled. I don't even know if something's good or not when it's showing up. And I think the trust is lost. And so my thought is like getting to a new version of that, that uh, is more decentralized, not reliant on one big tech company and not just based off of ads.
0: Yeah. So I would love the world we're talking about, but... (laughs)
1: That's in my head.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Ads is the best business to be in, right? Uh, You know, out of the, I think... Four companies, maybe five companies have ever been worth a trillion dollars. I mean, besides Saudi Aramco, the oil company, the five US trillion dollar companies all have a major ad component with Facebook and Google only being ad companies. I think ads is the best business to be in. So I think uh, this world where where they're not going to extract extortion fees for ads is, is, is never going to come. And then the problem is that the the people who are going to be leading Decentralization are the big tech companies. Oculus was the best selling video game system last year. So, like, beating Xbox, beating Sony was Oculus. So, 20 something million units beat the Nintendo Switch, right? Uh, so, anyway, so that's, I think, I think ads are the best business. I think people building decentralization are actually the same people who we're talking about. But they also know what you're talking about is a problem where Google search is the absolute worst experience. I type something I want in and then I'm like sorting and like choosing and like people can pay to like give me a bad experience. Like it'll actually end up being a, an existential threat to Google when Apple search launches. Right. But everyone's going to work towards like the one best answer. And like Mark Mori talks about this, Mark Horry to jet.com. And like, now he's just like a smart billionaire guy. He talks about like, in the future, you're just going to say what you want and then that's going to be given to you. It's like the, the one true answer. It'll just be, you won't see any ads at all. It'll just be like handy paper towels and it'll know everything about you because Apple already knows everything about you. Google knows everything about you. Facebook knows everything about you. It'll just be like, oh yeah, those are the paper towels you like. We're just going to ship them to you and there'll be some sort of bidding backend system and you'll just be served one answer and it'll kill most small brands. <laughs> like that's what I think we're going toward. This is me being like a conspiracy theorist where I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, the only way I'm going to survive the next 10 years is just to be a Yeti or bigger. Yeti's like almost worth $10 billion. I'm like, yep, I got to get there. Not even for personal gain, just because that's the only way to survive the coming tech apocalypse or whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, how are you thinking about getting there? Because I know on another show you were talking about your ROAS and what every company should be at. I think you said maybe 2X or something. And you also had really good numbers of revenue per employee at one point you were at like two million dollars of revenue per employee which is very good where are you guys at now like how are you viewing that and how should brands be thinking about you know the revenue per employee and their roas and all that
0: yeah dude i i i just said this uh and people like think people said it the wrong way i'm like you should try to take out less than one percent of top line revenue in like personal net income after taxes and everything per year for your business and not because you can't take out more, but because it's short-sighted to take out more. All of this is through my, my lens of being a bootstrap scaling business, okay? And, and some life lessons I've learned from that is if you grow more than 50% year over year, you will run into problems, right? So like that's just something I've learned time and time again is that if you try to grow more than 50% year over year, it's very hard to pay your taxes and then also buy enough inventory for the next year, right? We've had that problem four years now, Right? But then at the same point, you need to be able to survive. Like, I think like a 1.5 X ROAS. Like, you know, I think two is a very aggressive target, but like, can you function at a 1.5? Can you break even and pay your costs? That's what you need to be looking at. And then the revenue per employee piece, our target is sub 2 million per employee. And we offset that by like not having a 3PL. We offset that by using a lot of vendors. We offset that by having a bunch of VAs. You know, right now we're at 43 people, but We're at like 15 VAs, and by the end of you know Q2, I'll be at 50 VAs in the business. So, still trying to hire more people though.
1: Yeah, that's the constant struggle of today. I feel like for everyone trying to hire good and the right people. Because I mean, I was listening to something the other day that said every like you want to learn soft skills because hard skills change every two to three years, and so there's not really a point in learning hard skills anymore because they change so quickly and. It's like, oh, no wonder it's so hard to hire people because you need a mix of both. But things are changing so quick that, yeah, I can see why there's a struggle with companies finding good people. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't
0: think about that. But yeah, I mean, really just like people who can learn new skills. That's like the most valuable skill.
1: Yep. So when thinking about building a durable business, you also mentioned retail, which I want to hear more about like how you all are exploring that because there's a lot of interesting things happening in retail right now, good and bad. And so... I want to hear how you guys are thinking about it. And when I say bad, I'm more thinking about what companies are doing to make their numbers look better. Like, I think I saw something about like Saks Fifth Avenue was like separating out their e-commerce business, which to me is like going back to old school of like, why would you pull those two apart and act like they're different businesses? I know it's for valuations, but they're like calling them two different things. And so the world of retail is starting to feel weird to me, but I want to hear how you're thinking about it.
0: yeah. Uh... I think I think it's it's legacy people trying to survive. I mean, I don't really know how I feel about physical in person retail. I mean, I talked to a couple brands. I'm not going to blow them up, but like there's a couple high profile brands I've talked to, and and one of them like, yeah, we do eight million dollars a year per store, which is like best in class. I mean, way better than Warby Parker and Allbirds and all of them. Right? I think Allbirds is doing three and a half million per store or whatever. So like, I mean, for some brands, it totally works. Yeah, but. My big hang up is I really don't want to uh, be locked into expensive leases. I don't want to have to manage in-person teams, right? Like Ridge is like a, a fully remote company. We've always been remote first. And like we have a couple of values that like, if you're willing to work here for three years, you have a clear path to hundred thousand dollars a year, right? It's way harder to keep those values with in-person employees because it's way harder to have the growth required for like in-store associates, right? We have to change the way we think about those values to expand into retail. Also, like we make wallets to, that are designed to be small, so like <laughs> we have, it'd be really hard to build store concepts. But like I have, I have friends, I mean, I brought up Buck Mason. I brought up, uh, I don't think I brought this up, but, but Travis Matthew. Like I have, I have friends that run both those businesses and they do retail extremely well. I think if Rich does retail, it's going to be a part of what they do. I'll, I'll do exclusive cues for them. I'll put in... Marketing dollars, I'll put in event dollars, I'll do that type of stuff to really highlight their retail experience and just be associated with that. That's the way I want to do it.
1: Okay, cool. And tell me more about supply chain then. Are you guys building here in the US? You said that you didn't want to be messing with, you know, shipping things and getting caught up like that. Like what are you all doing to maybe not have to go through what everyone did the past year or so?
0: Yeah. So just, we are really lucky. Cause like I, par- I'm, I don't know, I probably come off like this, but I'm a paranoid person.
1: So like I, I've, always, you don't, no.
0: <laughs> I've always had a couple of years of inventory on hand. We're non-seasonal and stuff doesn't go bad. So I can have a bunch of stuff on hand. We've been very much sheltered throughout the supply chain stuff. And we have small units that I can air freight if required. So like we, we've been pretty okay. Like we have a lot of stuff coming from basically every country But I think in the next like three years, the technology will be there where uh, localized manufacturing can happen at scale. So not this year, but like 2025, uh, I think we can have automated domestic manufacturing. and I think more people are gonna do that. The one big thing that's gonna come out of COVID is like, people think it's really cheap to make stuff in China. It's not, but the whole advantage is they just have machines set up and they have people to do it. But as they get more automated, It just makes more sense to do more automated stuff here anyway. So anyway, that's where I think we're going to. 2025, making a lot of stuff in America.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do too. That's where I think people probably think I sound paranoid when I'm like, if you look at the trade deficit, it's like worse than it was in 2008. Obviously a very bad recession. A lot of it was because of that. I mean, obviously if we're not making much and we're not sending it out, we're not getting paid for it. Like, I don't think great things happen. And it's worse than it was back in 2008. Way worse. So I'm like, something has to change or else we're headed into bad territory, which you already think we're headed that way. So I guess we can both be pessimistic together.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think
1: pessimistic at different ends of the coin,
0: right? Yeah. I think I think uh the e com ad market is going to be very difficult to to maneuver. But uh I think China's gonna implode is what I think is going to happen. There's like a bunch of dark debt it's gonna just not make financial sense to do business there. And then I think we're heading towards a global recession that's going to not hurt. The U.S. is bad because of this this thing called the milkshake theory.
1: I have heard about this.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
1: explain it for people who don't know.
0: I oh, man, I'm not I'm not the right guy right guy to explain it. <laughs> but uh, it's an, it's 88 of all global trade happens in U.S. dollars, right? So like we have this like, this very unique problem where like I mean it's it's a global problem is that like everyone has U.S. dollar debt and then and there's this massive demand for U.S. dollars and we just printed a bunch of U.S. dollars. Because everyone freaks out that we just printed a bunch of money, but everywhere printed a bunch of money. So it's like the, the whole money supply grows pretty evenly, right? But then there's no demand for name a country's currency. Like no one actually wants that, except for people inside that country. But Saudi Arabia is buying weapons from us in US dollars and then selling oil to Europe in US dollars. And they're all servicing debt in US dollars, which means that there's just massive demand of US dollars. And that explains why the dollar is at like a 52-week a high, even though we just printed $2 trillion, like it just keeps going up. So anyway, all this stuff's going to happen. I think it's going to lead to a, you know, inflation will, will happen just because there'll be a massive demand, right? And um, I think US asset prices are just going to keep going up. But then I think the global economy is going to get really, really hard because we're servicing US dollar debt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch because I'm still watching that inflation number. I'm like, I don't know, this isn't looking good. And they already said before inflation was like transitory and it was gonna go away and then it didn't. I mean, it went away for a little bit and like, I think it was like Q3 and it just like came right back and lumber prices shot back up and they like revised it. And they are like, oh yeah, sorry, it's not transitory inflation, it's just here. And now they're going to adjust the CPI numbers to make it look a little bit different. AKA to me, they're just gonna try and make it look better than it actually is. That's the only part I don't trust. I'm like, if you're adjusting CPI numbers, something is happening that's not good if you have to make something look, Different than it is, unless you're actually including more things in it that need to be included. But we just got very off topic, which I yeah yeah thoroughly enjoyed though. (laughs) So, what are some maybe big bets that you're making right now within the company that you like? Don't know if they're going to pay off or not. I mean, I heard you know, big on influencers. You're on TikTok, you're Google, Facebook. I mean, pretty. I'd say you know what a lot of other companies are doing. What are you doing right now that's maybe different and like a moonshot that you don't know if it's actually going to work, but you're excited about it?
0: Yeah. uh... The biggest gamble we're making very transparently is, is in product. We sold millions of wallets last year. Like we've very much been about selling this particular wallet design to people. We launched uh, like a key organizer and like that did extremely well. Right. And uh, the big thing we're doubling down on is just like making new stuff for people, right? Like taking the same DNA of the wallet with the materials and just bring it over to more stuff. I mean, like everything else I don't even consider like a big crazy bet. Like we're really good at marketing. We're going to keep marketing, right? I'm going to keep making content. I'm going to keep hiring the best people. Right. And like, you know, we're, we're at 40 something people right now, by the end of the year, like 80-ish people, something like that. Right. And I don't consider any of that a gamble. I'm like, yeah, we're going to hire people. It's going to be great. Right. The real, like every year we have like a themes at Rich, which I, th- I know it probably sounds like stupid or whatever but like this year's theme is like endurance right we're trying to build the foundation of a business that can go on for a very very long time right like we're trying to ipo in 2026 like that's like that's like the clear path i have for this last year about professionalization so like getting real accounts getting real lawyers getting all the type of stuff that like big companies need and then this year it's about like the processes to like endure the next five plus years or whatever So all of that's what we're thinking about. None of that I consider a risk. The biggest risk is like, we're going to make watches this year. And like, you know, I feel really good about them and I hope customers feel the same.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, do you make laptop covers yet? Because I was reading a whole article about how your information can just get swiped off a laptop when you're like, you know, I don't know, traveling, walking around the street or whatever, just by people with their scanners, kind of like what they can do with your phones. I'm like, I think I need a laptop protector.
0: No, we, I, I, I haven't heard that. Some of that article because I'll probably make that.
1: Okay, make that. I don't know if it's true or not, but either way, I'm like, it sounds true. If you can get it off my phone, you can definitely get things off my laptop probably. So just need a good little covering to make sure no one can swipe my awesome kid photos. Right. <laughs> and everything else important. Well, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And this is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Sean? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What's your favorite ridge product outside of the wallet? Because that's what you're known for. The knife. We're have, we have a very cool knife. Okay. What's special about it? Why is it cool?
0: It's like made out of carbon fiber. It's just like a really well made knife. It's kind of like well, we're very inspired by James brand, like treating men's accessories as jewelry basically. But I don't revise answer, the key case. The key case is really, really cool. It's a new thing we made. Uh, they're sold out, so you can't get one. But uh, Darn. I really like that's it. Cool. <laughs>
1: Cool, now we're all just, uh, you'll have pent up demand until you get that back in stock then.
0: Yeah, I think they're gonna sell. We made them November 1st. They were sold out by November 10th. So like just immediately sold out.
1: Wow, I also need something cool to put on my keys now that I think about it. I'm like, keys are so lame. Why can't we make them cooler? I don't
0: know. For sure.
1: Another good product idea for you. (laughs) Bring it to the company. What is the most surprising thing since becoming CEO? Like, what did you not expect? Uh...
0: I guess I don't get as many emails as I thought I would. <laughs> That's always been a big concern So I would get like way more emails. But uh, no, I'm, I'm very open. People can DM me on Twitter and I'll, I'll book time with people to talk about stuff and uh, most people don't do it. So what that taught me is most people like to think they have ideas that are being held back and they just need whatever, but they don't take the steps to actually get it done because you can, you can totally DM me and usually get a, a phone call with me. But anyway.
1: Good. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received?
0: Uh, I don't know, man. It's very hard for me to recall this from the top of my head. Basically any, anything on Twitter I read is probably pretty good advice.
1: I'll just go on there. (laughs) Anything? Wow. (laughs) You're really leaving yourself open there. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah.
0: I, I don't know, man. I'm not one for business books, but, uh, I talk to smart people all the time. They're always giving me good advice.
1: Yeah. On Twitter. You're always DMing people.
0: Uh, Twitter. I mean, I have, I have a core group of friends in LA. So like, uh, you know, there's, People running a hundred million dollar plus econ businesses, there's very few of us. So I have a friend David or a friend Jeremy. They both run those businesses with their wives, and they're one's in the female hair space, one's in the vitamin space. And they're both super solid guys. I've talked to them all the time. Um, so yeah, just find the little communities I've got to talk to. And they're they a couple years old, they're like, they're like in their 40s, so they're always just giving me just good advice in general. Like, okay, here's here's some advice David gave me. Cause I was talking about how like I I have the the Delta card from Amex so that I can get diamond status so that I can get first class upgrades. Uh-huh. I explained this whole scheme to him and he was just like, just pay for it. He's like, he's like, I'm telling you like the mental space that that's taking up to like how to game D to get first class upgrades. He's just like, just buy them." <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, like, that's so stupid. Yep. You should just deploy capital in ways to free up mental space. That, that's what he was trying to tell me. That was, that was good advice.
1: That is good advice. I like that. All right. And the last one, what's a favorite either e-commerce tool or piece of technology that you're most excited about right now?
0: Yeah. So we spent more money on Facebook in 2021 than, than we ever have. And we did it at a better ROAS. So our, our blended ROAS went up year over year. So not only did we scale a crazy amount, we spent way more money at a better return. We did that because of a thing called NorthBeam, uh, which is like a, like a first party data platform thing that like basically when I, the iOS update fucked over Facebook, we were protected from it because Northbeam had its own pixel, all its own data, could model all that stuff out for us. Uh, there's a couple of people doing a similar thing. I think Triple Whale does something similar, but we've just been on Northbeam for like two or three years. So I think I've been super stoked on that. <laughs> That's one thing. The other thing is there's a post-purchase survey thing. I don't remember what it's called. Enquire Labs, I think it's actually called. I think SMS is way too overhyped. I personally think NFTs and 1.3.0 are a little too overhyped right now. It reminds me of when people thought AI was really cool like four years ago. And then it's like, okay, where's all the AI that, that you guys were talking about, right? Will that be proven wrong on all that type of stuff? My, 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 my CMO, Connor, owns board Apes and is like really into the whole thing. Uh, so I hope, I hope I'm wrong on that. But yeah, what I like is Enquirer Labs. Tell It's a post-purchase survey. <laughs> I think that's really cool.
1: That sounds cool. And the more, uh, yeah, I mean, the more simple things compared to all the buzzy catchwords right now. That's great. Cool. Well, Sean, thanks so much for hopping on the show today. This is super fun. Where can people learn more about you and Ridge.com? Other than going to Ridge.com, I guess, but where can people learn more about you?
0: Yeah, you can go there. You can email me, Sean at Ridge.com. I try to read every email that comes in. Or I'm on Twitter. You can just follow me on Twitter.
1: Love that. All right. Thanks, Sean. Listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast.